I've not always been musical. Oh, sorry, I have always been musical. I've not always been good. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> so, some more recent development. Um, I am now going to share with you one of the first songs I wrote. Uh, probably the first worship song I can remember. It was called, Your Love, Your Grace, and Your Trustworthy Face. <laughs> it's all about the rhymes. It's catchy, I know. Uh, Matt Redman actually bought the rights to that one recently. Um, so this was when I was about uh, 11 or 12. No, save embarrassment, let's go younger. Uh, this is when I was about 9, 10. Um, I remember, uh, my, I was writing this song, and I remember my mom came upstairs, and I was like, Mom, Mom, you know how like, God helps us do really hard stuff? And she was like, yeah. Uh, I was like, you know how like, when you're driving, stay with me on this, I hadn't driven at this point, don't worry. Um, when you're driving, it's like, easier to go in a straight line and like, harder to go around a corner. She was like, yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> the song went like this. Your love, your grace, and your trustworthy face leads me to the end. Your love, your grace, and your trustworthy face drives me round the bend. <laughs> it's not quite the tone I was going for. Um, <laughs> we're introducing that song next Sunday, by the way. Um, so get, get familiar with it. Um, yeah. So when you think about that, it was funny. I was talking to my, um, my housemate also, Ben, uh, about, about this talk. And we were talking about um, how the song Heart of Worship is often one of the first things you think about when you're doing a talk on the Heart of Worship. <laughs> he was saying that he'd never quite got the song. And it's for years, because for years he hadn't quite noticed the lyrics. And he, for years he was singing, I'll give you more than a sock, for a sock in itself is not what you have desired. He's going around thinking, why is everyone giving God their socks? Of course he doesn't want a sock. Of course, our worship's rubbish. It's just our socks. Um, anyway, so we're going to come bare feet to worship next week. Um, so today, that one fell flat. That's all right. There was, there was a limit. I end now. Uh, so today, we are looking at uh, worshiping God with all our heart. Uh, before we do that, I want to unpack those two terms, heart and worship. They can become quite generic. We hear them quite a lot. So what do we mean? Here's a little activity. Everyone point at yourself. Good, that mainly worked. Um, we're not pointing at our phones, at our partners, our, our jobs, uh, or our titles, or our successes, or our degrees. Most of us aren't even pointing at our, our minds, or our gut, or our feet. Most of us are pointing about here. Most of us are pointing at our hearts. Generally, when we think about the term heart, we mainly think, or we first think about our emotions, or our feelings, where we feel love, or sadness, or excitement, or stress. But that's merely one part of how the heart has been perceived for millennia. The Hebrew word for heart, levav, encompasses far more than that. For the Hebrews, the heart was at the very center of what defined us. Uh, the Hebrew term included our thoughts. They had no concept of the mind. So in Mark 7.21, Jesus said, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. It also included our, our feelings and our emotions. The phrase, a broken heart, actually comes from Hebrew. In the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, it says she had a broken heart because she couldn't have children. Then, of course, God went on to give her Samuel. And in Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart. The word heart included our choices and our desires. If you really wanted something, you'd go after it, and that would take place in your heart. In Samuel 2.7.3, the prophet Nathan is prophesying to David about building the temple of the Lord. And he says, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. And David had it in his heart to build a temple. And for the Hebrews, our heart was intrinsically linked with what came out of us, with what we did and what we said. The things we do, the way we serve, what we say. Jesus said in Luke, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. So let's broaden our perspective of heart. Our worship should never just depend on how we feel. And that's what's unhelpful about seeing the heart as just an emotive organ. Because it limits the gravity of the phrase, I give you my heart, to just, I give you how I feel, I give you my emotions. I give you my heart should be more closely associated with, I give you all I am, I let you define me. In Proverbs 4.23 it said, guard your heart, for from it flows your whole life. Or be careful what you're giving yourself to, because it'll define you. So as we continue on this topic, and I continue on this talk, and going forward, when we talk about, or we say, we sing about our hearts, let's consider that that's a, a bigger thing, yeah? Let's open that up. It's more than just our emotion. It's the center of who we are. So that's heart. What's worship? Worship is obviously a massive topic. And if you want to hear back on it, you can, uh, if you want to hear more about it, you can listen back on the talk I did with Matt in, in June. Uh, Paul also did a talk recently on services worship. And it's obviously a huge topic, but for the purpose of this, worship is all we give ourselves to and all we fill ourselves with. Worship is what we give our time, our affection, and our attention. It's what we deem worthy to give those things. It's what we give value to. And what we worship is what we find in our hearts, what we find at the center of who we are, and it will overflow out of our mouths. It will guide our choices and have command of our thoughts. That could just as easily be all we give our hearts to and all we fill our hearts with. What we worship, we give our hearts, and what we worship fills our hearts. And we're always worshiping. I feel like this is something God's been saying to us a lot recently as a church. He's been saying it to, to me a lot recently, I know that. And Paul said it in his, in his talk a few weeks back, we're all serving something. In the same way, we're all worshiping Sunday. We've got something, we've got to get out of our heads that worship is this thing where we sing on a Sunday. That's not worship, guys. That is worship. It's a part of worship. <laughs> Heresy. Um, it's, it's a part of worship. But that's not all worship is. Worship isn't just the singing. It's what inhabits the singing. It's, what behind, it's what's behind the singing. Worship isn't just the service. It's what's behind the service. And we've been created and designed to worship. Our hearts have been created to worship God. We are designed so the very core of who we are fits perfectly within the very core of who God is. Our hearts are designed to be in line and in relationship with God. Anything else we worship is not using our heart as it was designed. Anything else we fill our hearts with won't properly fit or fully satisfy. We'll always be left out of line of our identity. In the Old Testament, the Jews would pray every morning, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. They knew they were created to be in line and in relationship with God. And they reminded themselves of that day and night, constantly. This is who I am. So how do we position our hearts to worship God? We have hearts that are designed to be in relationship with God. And our worship is when we give our hearts to something or someone. So how do we give that to God? How do we do that? Well, David gives a clue in Psalm 138. He says, I praise you with my whole heart. And before the gods I sing praises to you, I will worship toward your holy temple. David here is saying that he worshiped God with all his heart. And he unpacks what that looks like. It's this very, very conscious act of turning back to God. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. This is God's small g. Not that there's numerous of the Almighty, don't worry. Well, that he's three in one. That's good as well. David here is saying, nothing here is worthy of my worship but you. 
So I'm going to consciously, intentionally praise you in the face of anything else I've worshipped. In his context, that may have been the Babylonian gods. But it also would have been anything else. He had temptation to think, oh, that means more. That means more than God. I find it really helpful when I go into worship to lay in front of me everything that has my worship. I figuratively picture, I think, okay, so for me, I've got this, I've got this, and I've got this. This is what I'm worshiping at the moment. And often, that's the affirmation of man for me. What I look like, what you guys think, what you, know, how I, how, what you guys feel about me, defining me. My fear of not achieving perfection. I battle with this constantly in writing this talk. And I constantly had to lay it down and say, you know what? I don't care what you guys think. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not the best thing to stand up and say. But it's true. Because I can't. That can't be what this is about. That cannot be what doing this talk is about. And it cannot be what my worship is about. It cannot get in the way of worshiping God. And so I like to, 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 to lay those things in front of me. It made me more tangible. It may be the phone or the laptop the need to hurry up and watch the latest episode of The Good Place on Netflix. This is a very understandable desire, and of course I'm caught up completely to date. But I picture it in front of me. I often say it out loud or under my breath when I'm going into worship. and go, great. Because when we become aware of what has our worship, we can give it back to God. When we're conscious of what has our time and our attention and our thoughts, we can go, great. I'm going to worship you instead, Father. When the psalm was written, sorry, I will praise you, God, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple. When this psalm was written, David may have literally been worshipping a temple of the Lord. He, of course, went on to build the temple of God, but he will have had some sort of tabernacle or tent or some dwelling of God that he could turn himself to and go, there it is, great. I worship towards you, Father. We don't have that in the same way, but we now are the temple of God. We have the spirit of God. He lives inside us. So that looks more like a reorientation within our hearts, individually and as a church. We are, as a church, we are a body, and we have a heart. G2 has a heart. When we worship, we place God at the heart of our church. Because when God's at the heart of our church, he permeates everything else. Let's guard our hearts as G2. Let's value what we give our hearts to, what we give our worship to. Because from that flows our whole life as a church. We want to be the best evangelists, worship God. We want to raise the next generation in the best way, worship God. We want to be the best at making disciples, worship God. Because when we have God at the center, not ourselves, that's what we're defined by. And that flows into everything else we do. Our worship is a constant reorientation as a church to make sure that God is at the heart of what we do. And we can worship God in so many ways. And one of the ways we choose to do that is sung worship. And that's not to say those who can sing are better at worshipping or better worshippers. As I said earlier, it's not about the singing. It's about what inhabits the singing, what's behind the singing. But singing together, singing truth together, it's a great way to collectively declare who God is. And our identity with him, keeping God at the centre of all we do. So that's a fantastic template that David's given us about to position our hearts individually and as a church to worship God. And that's important to hear. We have hearts that are designed to be in line with him in relationship with him. And it's so good to become aware of what has our worship so we can give it to God. Brill. But that's, that's not it. So far, this is just all about us. That's all I've talked about, what we do. But positioning our hearts to worship God doesn't automatically inspire us to do so. 
It's like you can build up scaffolding around a building site and get all the, the vehicles and the manpower and the equipment in, but the house doesn't just build itself. We can get everything ready, and that's brilliant, but it doesn't just happen. We've all been in that place. You may have been in that place today, ready to worship, no desire or inspiration to do so. We've all given God our time and then not quite been sure what to do with it. Like on Sundays, we go into sung worship and suddenly we're scared when the music dies down or when we switch songs or when there's just this brief intermission and we, we just kind of lose it a bit. We've been riding the wave of, of singing a nice tune and suddenly with this moment of silence and we're alone with what's going on in our hearts and there's nothing. <laughs> but remember the parable of the prodigal son. He had to turn back home. He had to make that choice. Even if he didn't feel like it, even if we don't feel like it, got to make that turn. Got to position ourselves and head home. But it was the father. That's what that story is about. It was the father who ran out, lifted up his robe, lowered and debased himself and ran to his son to show the overwhelming extent of his love. It is the heart of God. It is the heart of the father that will inspire us to worship. The only thing that will inspire us to worship God is God. Because there's two sides to this relationship we're in. And when we've been going through our life, giving our hearts, our time, and our attention, and our affection to other things, God has never stopped giving his heart to us. He's been singing over us since the very start. He has formed us in our mother's wombs. He can count every hair on our heads. Sorry, Dave. Well, Dave's not only. Um, <laughs> his thoughts of us outnumber the grains of sand and I did the math no okay wait I googled the math and that's more than 7.5 times 10 to the power of 18 grains of sand don't know how they counted that's 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains of sand quite a lot of thoughts I didn't even know that was a number <laughs> he has God has been patiently walking with mankind through our constant failures over and over again, brought us redemption and renewal. He literally gave everything, bore the weight of our sin and death and died the most excruciating death so we could be in relationship with him. He's constantly being good to us, constantly making beauty out of our ashes. In Revelation, the writer John gives us this picture of what heaven looks like. And it's mentioned over and over and over again that the angels and the elders are overflowing in worship for God. It is pouring out of them. They are constantly seeing the heart of God and constantly joyfully responding, you are holy. You are worthy. And the, angel, the elders just keep throwing their crowns down before God, giving every bit of their hearts to God because they're so overcome by his beauty and his majesty. There's no other appropriate response. Can any of you genuinely tell me of something you've given your heart to that's something you've worshipped that's made you feel like that any money any fame any worry any fear any person any earthly affirmation or anything here on earth has anything filled your heart so much been so completely worthy of your worship to the point where you just could joyfully do it forever I think one of the things that scares me most about heaven and sometimes what scares a lot of people about heaven is this idea that we'll get bored of it <laughs> it's true Eternity, oh. I don't think the angels are there going, guys, we've done about 30 billion years. Anyone up for a two-year coffee break? Like, 
<laughs> nothing wrong with coffee breaks. But they're joyful about it. They're there, I'm sure, if you gave them an option. They go, no, thanks. This is, I love doing this. I do this for eternity. I'm going to do this for eternity. This is the most beautiful thing I could do, is look upon the heart of God. We are so used to, to worship things that don't satisfy, that, that we don't realize that God will absolutely satisfy. Have you tried everything else? Give God a go. Let him have your heart completely. Let him define you. Put him at the center. Invest in a relationship. Get to know the God who created the heavens and the earth. And the God who breathed life into your soul and holds the universe in balance and placed every star in the sky, yet still knows you intimately. The God who is always thinking about you, always delighting over you, always loving you. Get to know this God. His breadth, his depth, his majesty, his glory, his beauty, his wonder, his love. Overwhelming love and kindness. And your worship will overflow from that place. How do we get to know him? Well, you can start today. Start with singing. When we go into worship, take those, take those words to heart. Mean them. Engage. Continue on from there. When you go home, think about what's getting my time, what's getting my attention, what's getting my affection. Challenge yourself, even when you don't feel like it, to give God more of your heart, more of your time, more of your attention, your worship. Get to know him by spending time in his presence. Invite the Holy Spirit, who is God, to come and be with you, to come and occupy and define your heart. And we've all got a book, either in front of us or at home or on some electronic device, and it speaks so much of the majesty and the glory of his character and the wonders of what he's done of the beauty of his creation and his overwhelming love that he's constantly pouring out. Read it, get to know it. That's the Bible, by the way, I'm talking about. Not a Tim Keller book, don't worry. When we know the heart of God, worship is the inevitable response. And that's another reason why some congregational work is so helpful. Because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that sense. The more we know and declare who God is, the more we discover of God. And the more we discover of God, the more we worship him. The more we get to know him, the more we will find him so, so worthy of our hearts. And just like the angels and elders, there'll be no other response than to just give it all to him. Because that's what God wants more than anything else, our hearts. He loves us and delights in us. One of the most famous Bible verses on worship is in John 4.23. And it says, yet a time has come now when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. You know what my favorite thing about that verse is? They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. He's seeking the worshippers. He doesn't say the kind of worship he seeks. It's the kind of worshippers he seeks. He's seeking our hearts. He's seeking us, not what we do, what we say. But he knows us. He knows we've been designed to worship him. He knows we're our best selves when we worship him. So he wants us to worship because he knows it's best for us. Because he wants to be in relationship with us. And I'm not saying it'll be easy. Sometimes we've got to get the ball rolling. We've got to constantly reposition our hearts towards God. Because when we go through life, they come out of line. Other things distract us, steal our time, our thoughts, our attention. But God is worthy of all, laying all of that down. He's worthy of that investment. But you'll only discover it when you give it a go. When you faithfully step out and give your heart over to God and invest in getting to know him. And yes, it'll take time and effort. Can you tell me a relationship that doesn't take investment 
any relationship we have with anything or anyone has taken our time and our effort that we've given into it, sometimes even just subconsciously. And when we're being used to worshiping things that, are, that giving our hearts to things that don't satisfy, there is obviously going to be a feeling of fear that that's going to happen with God. But it doesn't. I promise you, it doesn't. This relationship utterly satisfies. Always satisfies. Always fills your heart. Always fills it. When we're, when we're worshiping him, being that singing on Sunday, serving those around us, or by giving him our time and our affection, it's always worthwhile. So I'm not saying everything has to change today. I'm not saying we have to, to go into the next bit of worship and the Holy Spirit's going to fall and it's going to be like, oh, everything's different now. It's, you know, I can worship fully and never been able to before. And just dancing up and down. That would be great. Do that if you want. But this is the start of a journey, guys. Let's reposition our hearts individually. Let's reposition our, church, our hearts as a church. Let's commit to seeking God's heart, reading his word, singing louder when it feels awkward. <laughs> And when you, when you don't really feel like you want to because you're scared of what people thinks around, think about you, lay that down, worship God in front of it. It's dance even when we feel awkward. I'm not saying that has to happen this week. Imagine if that was in the future of D2. It's people dancing all over the place. It makes your hearts happy, doesn't it? You're awkward and scared about the idea of it, but it makes your hearts happy of a church that would actually do that. <laughs> Give him more than feels comfortable. Invest in a relationship, our time, our attention, our thoughts, our feelings, our church, our choices, our church, our service, our hearts, and our worship will flow out of us. So I'm going to invite Dan and Holly to come up. And as Dan quietly plays in the background for us, there's a couple of things I want us to do in response. But to begin with, what I'd love if we could do is if we could close our eyes and we're going to follow this template David gave us to reposition our hearts. So if we close our eyes, I want to invite you guys to lay in front of you figuratively everything that has your worship. What's got your thoughts right now? In the back of your mind, is there somewhere you'd rather be? Something you'd rather be doing? What has your attention your affection, your time? What does your week look like? Lay that before God. Lay all your idols before God. And say you're going to worship Him instead.
Father, we are aware of everything else that's got our worship. We place that in front of us. And we say, have that worship. Have that time. Have that attention. Have that affection. Have our thoughts. Have our choices. Have all we are. Define us. Define Jesus. So as we as we do that, I'd like us to stand now. And either on your coffee cups or on your seats, you should have uh, a Bible verse. And each of these declares something about the nature of God. It's truth written in the Bible. And as we go into worship, I want to encourage you to say, to shout these out loud, declare this truth. Declare who God is. Let Him inspire us to worship. I'll start us off. Whoa. I'm throwing water everywhere. The Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Receive out. 